Please join me in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. I admitted a few weeks ago that we were going to be cheating just a little bit as we try to finish the Gospel of Mark in, uh, in um, concert with Easter. Um, in the, as, so as we, as we get closer to, to Easter, our Easter celebration, uh, we have had to jump over a few passages to be able to make that happen. And so uh, sometime we'll come back to Mark chapter 13 because there's a lot of exciting things in that passage with regards to the day of the Lord and uh, some interesting thoughts as to la- uh, the end times and uh, it, it really coincides with Matthew 24 and 25, and there's just some interesting truths there that I think uh, would be great to mine and explore sometime. But here we are in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 14, and the title of today's message is Defection and Devotion. Defection and Devotion. Ten days after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor... Residents of North Platte, Nebraska, heard a rumor that soldiers from their town, part of the Nebraska National Guard Company D, would be coming through on a troop train on their way to the West Coast. About 500 people showed up at the train depot with food, gifts, letters, and love to give to the boys. When the train showed up, it was not the Nebraska National Guard Company D. It was the soldiers from the Kansas National Guard Company D. The North Platte residents decided to give out their gifts to these soldiers they didn't even know. It was a spontaneous act of genuine devotion that touched both the soldiers and the people who came to the depot that day. A few days later, a 26-year-old woman named Ray Wilson wrote a letter to the editor of the local paper recounting the profound experience they'd shared that night with those soldiers. She then suggested that the town organize a canteen so that they could do something similar for every troop train that came through. She offered to lead the effort as a volunteer. For the next four and a half years, the people of North Platte, Nebraska, and the surrounding communities met every single troop train that came through their town. Every day, they prepared sandwiches, cookies, cold drinks, and hot coffee. They had baskets of magazines and books to give away to the soldiers and snacks for the train. There were even birthday cakes for anyone having a special day. And they did this some days, and, and, and they did this some days for as many as 8,000 soldiers and sailors. The statistics are staggering. By the time the last train arrived on April the 1st, 1946, six million soldiers had been blessed by the North Platte Canteen. 45,000 volunteers had served faithfully until the war was over and most of the troops had been transported home. Wow, what devotion. In today's passage in Mark chapter 14, we're going to be looking at devotion as well, but not the devotion of an entire town, but of a single woman. Follow along with me as we read Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. 
There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could, could have been sold for, for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they had heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. As we read this passage, I saw that we kind of have three different scenes here. And the first one we, we come across is a group of plotting priests and scheming scribes. Plotting priests and scheming scribes. It tells us in verse 1 that it was two days before the Passover and the feast of unleavened, unleavened bread. This, is, this would be then by, traditional, by the traditional dating of the week. This would be Wednesday. And they were creeping up on the celebration of the Passover. This was the festival that commemorated the time the angel of the Lord passed through the homes of the Hebrews as he killed the firstborn Egyptian sons. The people of Israel were to set aside this important festival to remember when God had delivered them out of the land of Egypt. And here it says these chief priests and scribes who would have been the leader of the Sanhedrin, the supreme Jewish religious political and legal counsel in Jerusalem in New Testament times. These men were scheming, were plotting, so that they could betray Jesus. The, the first two verses are filled with words that, that show that they were doing whatever they could to usurp Jesus' authority. It uses the word, it says they were looking for or seeking for how to arrest him. They were on the, on, on the lookout for a way that they could gain control of power and, and unseat him at the same time. It says that they wanted to arrest him. The word means to seize by force. They wanted to grab a hold of him. And it says that they were, um, it, it says in verse, uh, at the end of verse 1, it says they wanted to arrest him by stealth. The word can mean sly, it has the idea of deception. They, they, they knew that the people liked, many of the people liked him, liked his teachings, wanted to set him up as king. And, and, and so they knew that they had to be very, very careful how they went about this. They were very, very concerned about their, uh, the public opinion and how people viewed them. And so as they, as they looked for opportunity, to betray and turn over Jesus, they treaded very, very carefully. You know, the fear of man can be a dangerous thing. The Bible says it can be a, a snare. These, these men here, not only were they committing the evil of betraying the Son of God, but, but they were always trying to test public opinion and, and wait in, in the waters with great care. You know, if we're, if we're not careful in our Christian life and we live that way, always worried about what other people are going to think, it, it, can, it can cause us a great deal of trouble. 
We don't want to spend too much time talking about these plotting priests and scheming scribes because there's someone much more important to spend some time with, and that's this devoted woman. A devoted woman. In verse 3, it tells us that when he was at Bethany, he was staying at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Remember, Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem. It was a great, a great place to stay because it, it allowed them close proximity to the festival and, and, and the, the festivities. But as you can imagine, the city was packed with travelers and pilgrims and there wasn't much of a place to stay. And so they needed uh, and, and found it prudent to stay outside of the, the city of Jerusalem and they were staying here at Bethany. They were staying in the house of Simon the leper. We don't know anything about Simon the leper. Uh, many scholars uh, believe that, obviously, if he still had leprosy, he couldn't be out in the general public. And so, uh, most scholars believe that he had been healed by Jesus. In fact, we discover, uh, even though this woman is unnamed in this passage, we discover that this is none other than Mary. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The, the Gospel of John Chapter 12 tells the same story, and he gives us the names. And so you have Mary and Martha and Lazarus all here in this house of Simon the leper. It's, it's caused some folks to think that perhaps uh, this is even their father. Simon is, is Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' father. We don't, we don't know that for sure, but they're here serving him and uh, spending time with him here in Simon's home. And what Mary does now completely took the breath out of everyone in the room. It tells us in verse 4 that as he was reclining at the table, a woman came, Mary, with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over her head. John tells us that she proceeded to pour some on his feet as well and began to wipe his feet with her hair. This this. Passage tells us that it was a very costly gift that was given. Because one of the disciples goes on to say in verse 4, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. These disciples saw that this was a very valuable gift. 300 denarii. That was about a year's wages for an average worker. Think about that for a second. A year's wages. This, this, this ointment may have a value of twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000, maybe more in today's currency. This was an extremely valuable item. Some have speculated that maybe it was even a family heirloom. And it was in an alabaster, alabaster flask, a beautiful white flask that had been made specifically for this ointment that had been imported probably from India. And it had a long, a long neck on it, and it probably had a very, very small uh, uh, opening for the ointment to drip out very, very sparingly. But in her love and devotion to Jesus, she actually broke the neck off of that so that the ointment could be poured rather than dripped out. She expressed her devotion to Jesus in this lavish gifts. The disciples were outraged because they looked at it very practically. Think of all the things we could have done with this money. We could have sold this thing and had all kinds of money to give out to the poor. 
Now, it's interesting. You have to go and read the account in the Gospel of John because John fills in the blanks a little bit. Um, he tells us that it was actually Judas that was leading the charge to have sold that alabaster flask of ointment. And John inserts in John chapter 12, verse 6, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and he was in charge of the money bag and used to help himself to its contents. Interesting how we can appear to have the, the, the concern for the poor. We can appear to have a heart for, for outreach. It sounded, it sounded on, on, uh, on the surface like they were genuinely concerned about the poor people that were out there and really wanted to be able to give them money and help them. But John tells us the true heart motives were revealed. Judas was interested in, in stealing and taking a little bit more for himself and fulfilling his greed. He didn't truly care about what was going on here in this moment as Mary worshipped and adored her Savior. We're going to come back to Jesus' response to her in just a moment as we apply some of these things. But the final, the final individual we see in this, we, we, we have, the, we have the, the plotting priests and the scheming scribes. We have a devoted woman. And then finally, we have a defecting disciple. We have a defecting disciple. Verse 10 tells us that Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad. And they promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. What a contrast here. Remember we've said that, that Mark often will sandwich a story in between two others to, to show or emphasize a contrast, and he's doing that here. We see this beautiful act of worship from Mary sandwiched between the Sanhedrin who's scheming and plotting to do away with Jesus and Judas who is willing to, to sell his dear friend for a few dollars. What a contrast. On one hand, we see Mary's devotion. On the other hand, we see a defection from this disciple who had been part of Jesus' inner circle. It's heartbreaking to read verse 11. It says, when they heard, when they heard that Judas wanted to betray him, they were glad. They were glad. They didn't realize the treasure they had before him. Jesus Christ, the one who had done nothing but pour out his love and give his life in service. Now we realize that after the fact that Jesus had to die, it had to happen this way. But it's heartbreaking to see that there was, there was joy in their conspiracy when they realized they have an ad, had an avenue to get to him. They just like just like a maniacal scheming bad guy with a, with an evil laugh. They did their transaction, probably in the dark corner of an alley somewhere, and sent Judas on his way to betray the Savior. 
But the evil acts of the Sanhedrin and the wicked, deceptive betrayal of Judas makes all that much more beautiful the act of Mary in that little house in Bethany at the feet of Jesus. As we think about what she did, there's a few things that I want us to just note by way of application. First of all, her devotion was beautiful. Look back at verse 6. And Jesus, as he rebukes those who are speaking against her, he says, why do you trouble her? Leave her alone. She's done a beautiful thing to me. She's done a beautiful thing to me. Now, for many of us, we can understand how the disciples feel. I mean, if you're talking a year's wages, the, the pragmatist in us rises up and say, come on, they got a point there. That's a, that's a lot of money. Can't you pour something a little cheaper over his feet and over his head? Get some regular olive oil or something. Let's use this for some real good purpose. Jesus said, no. No, what what she has done is absolutely beautiful because it reflects a heart that's devoted to Jesus. All these disciples here were missing the point. Things were going over their head left and right, and they were oblivious to this and to that. And this woman just sits at the feet of Jesus, pours out her most costly and prized possession, and wipes his feet with her hair, and Jesus proclaims it beautiful. Don't ever mistake being busy for Jesus as more important than being at the feet of Jesus. Does God call us to serve? You better believe it. Does he call us to use our gifts? Most assuredly, and some of us need to hear that more and more and more. But it all starts by being at the feet of Jesus. I can serve him all I want. I can labor and work my fingers to the bone. But if I never spend any time at the feet of Jesus, it's all in vain. Jesus said this here, what she's doing right now, is absolutely beautiful. Her devotion was beautiful. Secondly, her devotion revealed her priorities. Her devotion revealed her priorities. Jesus said in verse 7, listen, you're always going to have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good to them. But you will not always have me. Some have mistaken that verse to be saying that we shouldn't do anything for the poor. Jesus is saying, ah, forget about them. They're always going to be there just asking for something. Don't worry about them. He's not saying that. He's saying in this moment, right now, right here, she is doing the most important thing she can. The poor will be there, not to ignore, but to serve another day. But right here, right now, she recognized what takes priority. I wonder how we are at setting our priorities. I wonder if if being at the feet of Jesus is high on our own priority list. She recognized that this had to come before all else. And we would do good to remember the same. Her devotion revealed her priorities. Secondly, 
Or thirdly, her devotion meant giving her all. Her devotion meant giving her all. In verse 8, Jesus says she has done what she could. She has done what she could. I love that phrase. It may summarize the whole story. She has done what she could. So for, for some of us, what we have to offer Jesus may seem small. It may seem insignificant. We may think back to the story of the widow's might. People are going and putting in lavish gifts in the offering box. And this woman who has nothing puts in just a penny. And Jesus says that right there. That's a woman who loves me, who's devoted to me. She gave all that she had. Other people were giving and it didn't scratch a dent. It didn't, there was no sacrifice involved. She gave all that she had. In Romans chapter 12, Paul tells the Christians there, just tell them. He, he appeals to them, it says. He implores them. I appeal to you as, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God calls each and every one of us to follow Mary. In devoted worship to God. And as we seek to honor our Savior and and give Him His due, there will be times it will be costly. It will involve sacrifice. It will involve laying down our life. It will involve giving up something. All throughout the Gospel of Mark, He's been telling people, listen, you can't follow me and expect to live the way that you've always lived. You can't follow me and expect to have no sacrifice and not have to give anything up. True devotion to Jesus, true discipleship involves sacrifice. But as I said, it it doesn't have to be something that impresses others around you. you. You may not have much to offer. When when Owen, our four year old, is is working on his letters, and he's, he's been learning how to write his name. And he comes to me, and the O is all lopsided and goofy, and the W is gigantic, and the E is sometimes uppercase, sometimes lowercase. In the end, there's usually not enough room on the page for it, so it's super narrow. I don't go to him, and he brings that paper to me with pride. Look, Daddy, I, I wrote my name. I don't go to him and say, good grief. Have, I, have you ever seen a more lopsided O than that? Looks like a bicycle tire that's been run over by a Mack truck. Come on, you can't do better than that. You're four now, almost, almost five. And that's all you got? Listen, God doesn't come to us as we, as we bring our sacrifice to him and he sees our heart and ridicule it and mock it. Well, did you see how much they gave? Did you see how much time they spent? This is all you can do? 
her devotion meant that she gave her all. She did what she could. I wonder this morning if you and I are just just getting by with enough, just enough so it doesn't hurt, doesn't affect my schedule, how I use my time, how I use my money. I'll give up to this much here, but I've got a lot of plans, a lot of things to do, God, and I can't give more than that. Mary did what she could, and God calls us to do the same. Fourthly, her devotion was insightful. Her devotion was insightful. Let me explain what I mean by that. Verse 8 says, She's done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. Do you hear what Jesus just said there? She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. Even before I've died, she's anointing me and getting me ready for burial. See, Mary understood something that was completely going over the disciples' heads. Even though Jesus had told them ad nauseum that he had to die and be risen again from the grave, they just still were not getting it. They were like, so we're going to go put a whooping on the Romans, right? And Jesus is like, come on. This woman, though, was getting it. Mary had figured out that Jesus was going to die. She may not have understood all the ins and outs, but she knew that he was going to the cross as a sacrifice and that something in the very, very near future was going to happen to her Savior. Her worship, her devotion was insightful. She took time to listen to Jesus and understand his words. Remember, the, it was the women who did the same thing on Easter morning. They were the ones at the grave. The, the disciples were nowhere to be found. But they had been listening and tuned in to what Jesus said, and they were there. Her devotion was insightful. She understood that Jesus was going to die. Last week, we talked about loving the Lord our God with all of our heart and our soul and our strength. And we also mentioned mine. It takes time to learn from Jesus, to hear his word, to meditate on the truths of scripture so that we can love him in a way that understands what he's, come from a, come from a place where we understand what he's talking about. And Mary had sat at Jesus' feet enough, I believe, to understand what he was saying and what was going to happen. And then finally, her devotion left a legacy. Her devotion left a legacy. Did you hear what Jesus, Jesus said? In verse 9, truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Isn't that amazing? I think Jesus was hinting at the fact that this story was going to be included in the, the Holy Scriptures, the written record of what God has done. And he says, listen, when the gospel goes out, people are going to hear about this woman's sacrifice, about her act of worship, her loving gift to me. You know, when you choose to serve the Lord, when you choose to worship Him, you spend time with your family in the Word of God, you take time to pull your child aside and pray. When they, they in the wee hours of the morning, get up and they see you on your knees, when, when, when other children here in the church watch you serving faithfully as a greeter or in the nursery, helping out on, on the cleaning day. A little, little quick plug there. And, and they see you giving 
Not, not for the church's sake, not for your own sake, but for the Lord's sake, as an act of worship, as an act of devotion. You have no clue how far the ripple effects of that devotion will go. You have no clue. How many, how many millions of people have been impacted by this story over the last 2,000 years? As this woman's simple act of devotion has gone viral and spread in every copy of the Word of God and every language that's ever been translated, simply because she said, you are my all. Everything, everything I have is yours. I want to I give you all that is in me. This morning as we hear this story, about this woman who, who Mark leaves unnamed. And I, and I think that that's, a, that's an interesting point in all of this. That the people that we think should be there at the forefront, the people with the names, the Peters, the Johns, they're nowhere to be found. But this unnamed woman, at least in Mark's account, is there at his feet. But as we see this, this costly gift... As she kneels and pours this fragrance over his feet and over his head, her simple act of devotion has ripple effects that have been felt down through the centuries. No, you and I cannot anoint the body of Jesus today, but we can express our love and devotion to him in other ways. Let us be people who are willing to give ourselves to honor our Lord and to show our devotion to him. Like those folks in that little town, North Platte, Nebraska, who gave of themselves all during the war years to be a blessing to people that they had never met. Let's take that same spirit and under the, the working of God's Holy Spirit, let's turn that now to his people and the community around us and live lives of devotion just like Mary. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would take your word and speak to our hearts. You call us today to be those who are devoted to you and to your kingdom. May your Holy Spirit take our, our simple acts of worship and, and use them to bless others and to bless our church. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. And as it goes forth to touch hearts and lives, I pray that you would transform and that you would make us into those whose, whose, whose lives represent Faithfully, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, I, this morning I, I know that there are people, perhaps in our midst, most certainly in our community, who are without the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have never trusted in Him as their Lord and Savior. I pray that your word would go forth in a powerful way to convict them and draw them to Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.